Hey gang, Calvin here. I uh, just wanted to talk to you guys and give another quick little update. Uh, today's episode is part three. Uh, I still actually don't know of how many episodes this is going to be in total. Two, there are going to be four or five at this point. Um, I'm still working on the edit. Uh, as I mentioned, Chris and I spoke for six hours and eight minutes on The Last of Us Part 1 and 2 to say we had a lot of fun talking about these games uh, is a bit of an understatement. So still working on trimming that down. We're going to figure it out. But either way, thank you for making it this far. I know it means a lot to me and I know it means a lot to Chris. So um, thanks for being here. Thanks for chiming in. We do appreciate it. A couple other quick updates. We've got some things coming in the works um, to look forward to in the future. Uh, I'm going to be interviewing a good friend pretty soon about Interstellar and Alien. Um, I'm going to be doing another interview with a really good friend of mine about uh, The Exorcist uh, and The Shining. And then uh, my friend and I are in the middle of a friendly argument as to which Ari Aster film is better. Uh, she believes Hereditary is better, while I believe Midsummer is the better of two films. So we might be doing a new thing called Film Fight in the near future, where it's just basically a guest and I, a friend and I, bring up, again, two movies kind of similar like this, and have a general discussion, and then hopefully can get some participation on your end, and to hopefully chime in on the conversation and to see... Uh, what other people think about the matter. So it's kind of an idea that's currently in the works, but we're going to try to aim to have that coming out in the near future. You can also follow The You Show Show on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, any support in all three of those would be greatly appreciated to both myself uh, and the guests that come on the show. But with all that said, uh, Chris and I really appreciate that you're here. We appreciate you chiming in and uh, checking out what we have to say about The Last of Us. Again, this is episode three. If you have not listened to one nor two, I highly recommend going back and checking those out first. Um, today's discussion is going to be on The Last of Us Part Two. The ending uh, is a bit abrupt, but that's just where that kind of form of conversation ends. And we will pick it up next week with episode 18, The Last of Us Part Two Continued. The naming on this, I know, is crazy. But um, anyway... Uh, thank you again, and we will see you all next week. Bye. My, my name's Calvin, and welcome to the Pooh Bear Show. I'm Pooh Bearing it up. Got no pants. Ready to talk. That's it. Um, yes. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the You Show Show. It is the show where you show things. I am Kelvin Lazy McMurray. I'm joined again today by... My name's Calvin Pooh Bear Forever. My, yes. Hashtag Pooh Bear Forever. It's actually, it's actually Pooh Bear 42069 LOL. Thank you very much. It's my gamer tag. Hashtag Edgelord. I am joined again today by my very good friend Chris Livingood. Chris, hi Chris. Um, Hello. Welcome back to the Thanks. studio. It looks nothing like your apartment. Um, today we are on uh, like part like twenty seven of the discussion, uh, the Last of Us. And today we are going to be talking about the Last of Us part two. And similar to the first part, if you have not played this game and you have any intentions of doing so, I would highly recommend pausing this right now, playing it, and then coming back. Because uh, yeah. it is a game that is 
one million percent worth your time and it's a game that is one million percent uh deserving of your interpretation on the most blind basis as humanly possible um which i was lucky enough to say that i got to go into it blind but we'll get into that uh in a minute so i'm gonna start off uh on something else completely different i'm trying to uh, I'm a person that like if you speak your goals out loud, they come into like existence a little bit better. So I'm trying to like ask more generalized questions. Um, so I'm going to start out with a question for you, Chris. Yeah. Gun to the head. You and everyone you love and care about will die if you don't answer. You ready? Got it. Ready. Best video game ever made. Hands down. Go. Last of Us 2, period. Oh, wow. Okay. Damn. Okay. Oh, I'm glad we're talking about that then. Today. Yeah. So- yeah. 100% uh, like without any reservation whatsoever. And that is because while there are other games that I absolutely deeply love, Final Fantasy Tactics is a really good one. Uh, I think Castlevania Symphony of the Night is a masterpiece. Um, I got a lot, oddly, out of Doom 64 when it came out. I was really, I think I was also on a lot of LSD when it came out. <laughs> and, and I also, yeah, had the same experience with Tetrisphere over 48 hours, and that was a very dark time in my life. But um, but you know those are those are all games, and this was I think a very decent game, but elevated just heavily beyond that because of the actual story, because of the acting, because of the nuance, and because of how character development and emotion and contrast, um, contrasting goals between sort of characters, uh, you know, it elevated it for me. Um, sort of beyond what I'm used to feeling. It left me, uh, quite frankly, I mean, it left me kind of shattered. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's never happened before. And I had to kind of think to myself the first sort of few days after I finished it, it was this good. And I really didn't have an answer for that. What did it all mean? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I feel terrible and kind (laughs) of like, uh, super bummed. And, uh, and I, I'm not going to play this thing again. I'm really going to let this settle for like a good while. And of course, two weeks later, I just started it again. But yeah, so that, that is a unique effect for me. Um, I have seen movies that came close, um, but I've never, I think the interactive nature of gaming as a storytelling mechanism empowers or imbues the weighting of it a little bit differently because your perspective so often between first, third person, etc., And uh, it allows for, because of the way it's delivered, it's delivered in chunks that aren't TV size or not film size. It's delivered at the rate that you can ingest it. And so I think you also create space for it a little bit differently. I know for me, when I'm really excited about a game, if I don't have four or five hours to really spend on it, I just won't touch it until my work week's done and I can really set time get my favorite snacks to like get a workout under my belt. So I don't feel like such a scuzz bucket, you know, like take a shower, <laughs> put on some comfortable clothes, you know, it's yeah. I'm the same way. I, um, I, I, if I, if I'm going to sit down in game, I need, yeah, like at least a solid hour. So I have like, I have like little dumb games that, yeah, I can just throw a half hour at and whatever. Um, like a really good game that you can play, uh, in sporadic moments, uh, is have you ever played dead cells? Oh, yes, I have. Yeah, I have. And definitely that's that's an example. I realized, by the way, I just described what I think is the process for rich people getting ready to have sex was. <laughs> and I think, yeah. I bathe and put on my pantaloons. I am ready. Like I, I've, I've rubbed my body with the finest dungeons. I have had two figs. Yes. I'm ready for co- your coitus. <laughs> <laughs> Come in thy room and have coitus with me. Yes. Yeah. Um, for four to six hours. <laughs> oh, for sure. There are days where like... 
I'm having a bad work day and it's like, yeah, turn on Grand Theft Auto 5 and just go blow up cars and have fun. But then I agree. There are some games that like, they take the time. You got to, you got to put the time in. And I, I've always noticed games that like camouflage that process. Those are the games that are like the best. There are some games where I'm like, oh, I just have to grind and level up and just gain XP. And I don't like, I, this is just a time sink. And there's some games that it feels more natural and it feels more rewarding. Um, Let's drill down into that. So one of the things I think that really made space for The Last of Us, very specifically, the closest kissing cousin is actually Dead Space. If you ever remember playing Dead Space, mm -hmm. Dead Space is a phenomenal game, mm -hmm. and it's getting a remake, which I am absolutely over the moon for. Um, but if you remember, Isaac, there are no heads-up displays. You're third person, just like you're in The Last of Us. The up his spine is this LED sort of health meter that shows the, sort of the integrity of the suit and how much of this like time slowing sort of fissile juice he has loaded in his suit to be able to slow down enemies, control gravity, etc. And then he would go to workstations and upgrade his weapons and fiddle with his suit because he by nature was a space engineer. Um, it's also a very close cousin of the game that we'll be talking about for your end of things as well. Both of all of this is sort of uh, games that really reduce the gamification and instead really put you in a place in a moment where they're really showing you what's in front of you and letting you sort of sort things out more often than not for yourself. And how you want to play. And I, yeah, yeah, and that's that's one thing that, that the game I did enjoy. I felt like instantaneously with The Last of Us 2 in comparison to the first one is it felt like there were a little bit more options and a little bit more, um, yeah, role-playing sense of like, are you a run in and pop headshots and shout boom headshot at the top of your lungs and then run into the yep. next room, rinse and repeat? Or are you a go slow, crouch on your belly, crawl through the grass, put on a I'm silencer on your pistol and yeah. take it one I mean, step at a time? I'm going through and playing it again on the PS5 currently. And I've been taking this like conflict avoidant uh, path, which means I play through every section and just end up killing everything anyways. And then, chad myself and restart that level and go back and try to do a conflict avoidant and it, it is possible to for the most part avoid like 90 percent of the conflict yeah, in the game yeah and there are a lot of games that are starting to do this i would say a game that popularized that was actually metal gear solid 2 one of my favorite games of all time yeah. was the um 100 you can use a tranquilizer gun instead of a bullet yes. gun um, in that game and you actually get rewards based off of not killing people in the game and it's so it's it's funny because it's a war game because you're shooting bullets and guns and grenades but it's an anti-war war game which is kind of a funny title but it's true and that's and I, I was thinking about that while playing The Last of Us 2 is like I kept thinking about that like you could play this game and not kill one person but it would be fucking hard but it is possible and uh that that probably would be a fun challenge to try to go through and try to do that so Absolutely. well i think that taps into the the bigger thing which is can games be used as a salient framework for telling the scale of human morality based on the perspective of characters and, and i think the answer is we are definitely there and and certainly the last of us two is not the only game to attempt to do that uh, but that's been a thing. Um, you have to use, you know, sort of moral fables have been around since forever. And those moral fables can be very simple, you know, scorpion crossing a frog's back or whatever the hell the, you know, old fable is like, they all teach you some sort of lesson. But when you're starting to try to extrapolate sort of what is the virtue of having a human civilization and at what scale 
does that matter? And how does that, when you change the scale, how do the relationships uh, between all people or just a handful of people alter? And, uh, you know, how do you sort of, what do you put sort of weight importance on? Uh, is it loyalty? Is it order? Is it revenge? Uh, you know, is it justice? Etc. And one of the things that's great about a post-apocalyptic setting of any kind is that you can, without reducing the scale of the world uh, to anything smaller than the world with which in the game sort of takes place, you don't have to create boundaries because you don't have that many people left alive. And so it gives you an opportunity to tell a very finite tale on a very, very big backdrop. Yeah, and that was one thing I felt a lot more in this game than I did the first game. I... I... Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in the second game, okay, so you um, you enter an area, uh, a courtyard of a whatever, of a school, whatever, and sure. yeah, okay, there's in between you and your destination, there's six bad guys, right? Six people, yeah. uh, and and you 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 shoot one of them in the head, and they hear the gunshot, and then you hear the five other characters in the game, they'll like. Oh my God, Bob! Bob died. Yeah. So this was yeah, this is a thing. The the game manufacturers named every NPC named the dogs. So if you go and you kill one of their hunting dogs, uh, they will go and say the dog's name and uh, you know mourn the dog for a moment before they get pissed and come to hunt you down with a hatchet or something. Uh, yeah, really turns up the volume on the sort of interactive uh, nature. And I think that's really the point of it is this game sought to increase the tactile nerve ending level of emotional response. And they, they really were willing to do anything it took without regard to good taste or bad taste to make you feel what you were doing, which is basically murdering a lot of people. A lot of people that by all technicality and definition did nothing to your character they're just doing their job and um not only there's the people that like you have to kill playing the game but obviously in the 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 cinematic moments we call them cutscene same thing you know there's yeah there is a uh there is a pile of bodies at the end of this game and i think that that's a theme they were definitely pushing was like all of those bodies they had a name and they had a story just like the character that you're playing in. And I feel like this game did that masterfully. You know, yeah. you can you can look at games and we, we spoke about this like a little bit because I remember I texted you and I said I beat the second one. You just called me and we just talked for like 10, 20 minutes, whatever it was. And, um, you know, we were talking about one thing that I really liked about this game was like, you know, a lot of games put you in the, like, military man, macho, bravada character, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I'm thinking of, like, Halo and Doom. And, you know, when you're playing Halo and you're m- mowing down hundreds of thousands of enemies, like, I never stopped and thought once about any of those enemies. They Absolutely. were just there to be cannon fodder. And this game, all of a sudden, it was like, oh, yeah, I did just kill a woman and her dog that were just on patrol duty, and that was all they were doing. Well, uh, let's, let's give Halo their due. In Halo 2 or 3, you actually find yourself siding with a rebel member of the Covenant as sort of a secondary, I guess they call it a deuteragonist, um, and secondary main character. And, and they try to kind of give you a window into their side of this conflict. And they did it 
exactly the way it's just a weird looking master chief you know like it this it's just the main character with an alien face yeah who has you know manly impulses and is basically the exact same kind of generalized alpha male without much personality with a mission and you know firmly held beliefs and there's not any critical thinking going on there no um and there's really not any thinking going on there it's it's a crusade and and i think it feels good to be stuck in a situation where you're right and you know you're right and all you have to do is use your righteous anger to slaughter your way to a door. <laughs> yep. What happens, though, when your right is someone else's absolute wrong? Exactly. And being able to create opposing viewpoints and galvanizing them with tragedy, galvanizing them with great loss on both sides, um, and then leaving you with a question of, why did all of this have to happen? Yeah, and that was a very good theme. And like I said too, I with this game, I feel like they ramped it up too. Where again, like there's a there's a scarcity of people because there's things are places are thriving, but there's also this like when when you take away the laws of everything and each tribe and each community has their own set of laws, then you have yeah. a different set of ideologies and that is where then conflict arises. And that's something we see in this game too with um, uh, Abby's group along with, uh, oh my gosh, the, what was the, the scars? What were they called? The, yeah, the scars are the Seraphites. That's uh, it, yeah. Yeah. And, and the one thing that I really liked with this game as well is that, um, through this conflict and through all this fighting, it's like, again, you feel the scarcity of people, but I also really like, I always love the story of like, okay, you've got two groups of humans fighting, but underneath the surface, something even more evil and something even more vile is growing, but we're too distracted because of our anger and our hatred of each other as groups to not see what's really going on. And I feel like that is obviously very much a tie-in for a modern world that we are currently living in. Absolutely. And I thought that tie, that was, that to me was something that really stood out aside from the story was, and they don't talk about it, but you do experience it. Like at one point uh, you, like you fall into like a sewer and it's the boss fight with the, um, the crazy. Oh, uh, no. Are we going to talk about that yet? Well, it's, we're getting there, but I'm, yeah, I'm jumping ahead. Sorry. But yeah. yeah, no, no, I, no. And, yeah. But that was cool to me because that was a really good reminder of like, oh yeah, this shit's down here and it's only getting worse by the second. And I'm upstairs killing somebody because I'm angry at them. And um, anyway, the game did a great job. There's like, there's the term like game feel and this game does masterfully with that so yeah okay so let's <laughs> let's jump into it so let's um well but, and before we delve into that i think the what's really interesting about this entire conversation whether we at length explain the game's story arc or not what to me was really potent about playing it again and again as the COVID outbreak happened and as the 2016 election, you know, had come and gone and that polarization extended out into 2020 and now even 2021, I would say things are even more disastrously bad. Uh, no matter what side of things you happen to be on, the reality is that people are starting to lose, lose their sense of uh, interconnectedness. Um, I think right now it's very obvious to see that there are two clear hemispheres of what people consider to be an American of identity um there's just a lot of polarization happening and this game while trying to tell this very large tale about what morality means and how you can interpret it also happened to become a folk alt for just this horrible division in the culture wars and we'll have a 
lot of uh, we have a lot to talk about there. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, if you're ready, let's. I say let's just let's jump in feet first. Um, so this game starts out. What is it like? Three it years. Is, so it starts out four years after the end of the first game. Uh, if you remember going back to the end of the first game, it begins on the beat of. Ellie was under the impression as they traveled her and Joel across the country to her sort of great destiny, which was that she was immune to this uh, fungus uh, zombification virus, basically, um, a cordyceps virus, um, that she was going to get to this resistance base of what were called the fireflies, these resistance fighters who were trying to seek a cure, and that she would be sort of key to that cure. And when Joel found out that that was going to cost her uh, her life as his sort of adopted daughter for all intents and purposes he decided that the right course of action since she wasn't even being sort of given a choice was to kill all of them and to steal her and she sort of wakes up in the back of the vehicle and they're on their way out of salt lake city away from the firefly base and he essentially lies to her and says that there was never any chance that she certainly was not unique in being immune and the game finds us at you know they make their trip back to jackson wyoming to go stay with tommy his brother, uh, in what seems to be a safe and budding community. And on a hilltop, she asks him if he told her the truth. And he lies, looking her in the face, and she says, okay. And that's where the game ends. So so the game begins uh, with Tommy sitting down, or Tommy and Joel sitting down, older. You know, there's gray in the beard, the, you know, the graphics have improved slightly, which happens as you get older, naturally. Um, and um, he's telling uh, Tommy for the first time that he lied to her. And um, and it flashes back to that moment, as he describes it, of her looking at her shoes, back up at him, back at her shoes, back up at him, and saying, okay. And they make their way back to Jackson, which is now this bustling community, uh, which they are leaders and participants in. And, um, and you find Abby... And Joel's relationship has really chilled in the intervening years, and you're not entirely sure why. Things just feel fraught. And, uh, you know, I think any astute viewer would immediately pull that she's been walking around with questions for quite some time now, and that makes things very uncomfortable because Joel is so fond of her that she lives in his backyard in like a garage. And they, you know, and regularly butts into her business now that she's a young budding adult and she's going out on like support missions and combing for, you know, the walking fungal infected and making sure the community is safe. She's, you know, contributing member and he's still, you know, (laughs) basically constantly in her business and she seems to resent this. Yeah. There's it's the game starts out. You can definitely feel there. There's, there's a wedge between Ellie and Joel. Um, and that that's that's definitely like right off right off the bat. And one thing that I like too in like the opening section, it's intermingled a little bit. But uh, the the segment with Ellie and like you were talking about this is like this new community that they've built up. You get to kind of walk around it. You get to have like a really fun snowball fight with the yeah. kids. I thought that was really cool. Um, so you get to have this snowball fight, and I thought because all video games always have the like um, tutorial section. It drives me nuts because some tutorials. I'm not, like, I, you, I'm sure you would agree, like, some tutorials in games now were, like, 45 minutes to an hour long, and it's like, dude, just get, like, I know, I know you can crouch in a third-person shooter, I know you can hold left trigger to aim, and so I love that tutorial, it was just like, here, here's our new buttons, yep. okay, let's go, um, 
But anyway, so they're in this town, um, and life is seemingly good, which is great. That's that's a that's always a great way to start start a game. Life is good. Life is seeming all right. Um, there's a wedge between Joel and Ellie, but Ellie seems to be doing all right though in her personal life. Um, and the one thing that I like too is. Um, you know, Dina uh, and Ellie, we'll get into Dina in a second. Uh, you know, they go out on, like, a security patrol. Yeah, there's there's sort of this, like, cadre of friends she's made. She's actually part of a community of people roughly her age at this point. Yes, and... Um, but what I like is that everything seems, like, pretty calm. It seems pretty normal. And it's, it's easy for people to slide back into normalcy it's like to me it always kind of it reminded me of like um thinking about like modern trauma that happens in the world and how we as not and this is just people we as people have a tendency to kind of forget kind of quickly once it's not immediately in our lives like like i think about um uh if you remember i think it was like around 2011 there was that really big uh either earthquake or hurricane that hit japan and this like nuclear reactor got super fucked up and it was yeah it was really bad for japan and like all these people were like selling t-shirts and like support click here to support five dollars to to this foundation to help out japan and like three months later it was just gone but it was like japan's still really fucked up and i feel like a little bit like that opening is like yeah the world out there is still really bad this threat is really growing and it's out there but the town it's like again it's like it's the, the problem with people it has an operating movie theater and bars and restaurants and you know there are vendors on the street selling all sorts of yeah sausages and different cuts of meat and there's a daycare you know there's a school uh it's society effectively and it's trying to bring back the normalization but again the normalization of life while saying there is this giant looming threat out there is kind of interesting to me. I don't know about you, but I thought that was really interesting because it was kind of like, I just wanted to like shout at the top of my lungs, like stop having fun. Don't you know there are zombies out there? (laughs) Exactly. You know what I mean? That's that's the beautiful tension of a post-apocalyptic setting is that if you want to have a life that I think the modern person would consider worth living and, and let's, let's be honest. When we were just flinging our own shit, at some point someone said, you know, I'd like a parka. And so they invented a parka, and now you can go buy a parka with money. And so, like, we know that humans, when they civilize, they tend to trend towards creating the communities we recognize. And, and that's a reason. There's comfort. There's consistency. There's safety. There's procreation. And so when you stick that in a post-apocalyptic setting, there's this exchange that happens that you have to live with some pretty terrible stuff. And I absolutely love the drops, sort of the backdrop of Jackson, because Jackson is really so far along. It's a full community with electricity and pretty much all the comforts of home, um, except for all the consoles stopped coming out and video games and movies stopped coming out in 2013 when the world ended, which I think is a really cool thing to look around and, and witness. Um, there are only PlayStation 3s in the world. <laughs> and, um, and only games made by the designer of Naughty Dog, uh, or the designer of the game, which is Naughty Dog, which I thought was also great. Um, but you have the abstraction is much more sort of close, like just outside their walls are roaming bands of ostensibly dead people, and they have to go out and clean them from the face of the world in order to continue to have this existence. 
what I like about that is that that is happening right now, minus the undead factor, because we are sort of constantly engaged in conflicts, whether we think of them as hot conflicts with warfare or just economic warfare against other countries, where we're doing real human tragedies on a mass scale so that we can have cheap shoes. Yeah, and it's like, it's it, to me, it was like, it felt very reminiscent of like the idea of like, okay, we're going to stop all terrorism. And it's like, well, good luck. You know, it's like saying I'm going to kill every fly on the face of this planet. It's like, all right, good luck. By the time you get to the end, the beginning is just going to be reopened right all over again. So... Yep. Peace. I think David Cross said a war on terrorism is like a war with a war on jealousy. You're never going to win. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. And and I, I I I when I played it, I felt that right away. You know, again, it's 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 interesting because the game almost starts out like uh, kind of like a young adult. I want to say like. Uh, I don't know, like a Harry Potter-esque, Hunger Game-esque, like young adult, late teen drama-esque story. Oh, very much so. There is, uh, there's uh, crushes. There's uh, friends forgiving friends for kissing their ex-girlfriends, and yeah. You know, yeah. So Ellie and her friend Dina, you you hear about that they were at a dance last night and they kissed, and of course, you know, some people didn't appreciate two two ladies kissing each other, and that's like. <laughs> That was a hoedown. Yeah, thank you. I yes, yeah, pardon my everything in the north is just a dance. <laughs> um, if your legs are moving, you're just dancing. It doesn't matter the type. Um, but that's the drama of the opening game. Is like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't remember the character's name. Old man Henry Winkler is mad that Ellie and Dina kissed because you know this is a this is a family organization. There's a vaguely homophobic response to that. I cannot remember that guy's name, but the local uh i think he runs the local cafe or something and he decides that he's gonna jump in their shit and castigate them for being mouthy dykes come on don't you start with me okay i have a very serious question for you how bad do i smell like a hot pile of garbage oh Okay. Oh. How about that? Gross. <laughs> you love it. Every guy in this room is staring at you right now. Maybe they're staring at you. Or not. Maybe they're jealous of you. I'm just a girl, not a threat. Family event. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Remember next time there's kids around. Yeah, like you're setting such a great example. 
Oh, just what this town needs. Another loudmouth dyke. The fuck did you just say? Ellie, hey. Ellie, don't. Get the hell out of here. Get your hands off me. And I even like too how just the next day, uh, uh, Tommy's wife just grabs Ellie and like pulls her and takes you plain as Ellie to, to this guy and he apologizes. And I was like, there we go. Like, thank you. That's good on the game. Thank you for doing that. But it was still... Um, that's that's the world now is is again just this very normal well you know quote unquote normal seemingly chill seemingly relaxed life um and so that to go off of the high intensity of the end of the first game into that was in my opinion really noticeable and it was it was an interesting way to start the game um so then so then (laughs) We go from, you know, uh, Ellie and Dina are kind of figuring out, you know, what the kiss meant. And then they go and they go together on like a security patrol. They smoke weed in like an underground bunker. They hook up. And this is, again, just like the seemingly quasi-normal story of everything that's happening. Yeah. Meanwhile, we switch the camera, similar to how they did in the first game over to a new character. There's this group. Um, uh, speaking a, a, a little bit cart before the whores, I, 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 as soon as we played as Abby, I thought it was cool. So we meet this character named Abby, the good old controversial Abby. And um, she's with this group of people, people that we've never seen, never met before, in the, at least in the first game. Um, I don't know if there was any mention of this group outside of the game. I'm sure you would. Not at all. Okay. So this is a brand new set of people. And um, yeah, we're playing as this young woman named Abby and they're kind of checking out Jacksonville. You can kind of tell they're kind of in the area. Something's kind of going on. And I, I, I don't have honestly many criticisms of the game, but this is actually, if I can be honest, my, the kind of the only one criticism I have of the game. I understand why they shifted the perspective into Abby was to get you used to playing as her. A little bit of a spoiler alert later on in the game when that drastic shift plays and we go back to Abby, I didn't feel it was as impactful. Yeah, and we figure it out. Again, for a term of a storytelling purpose, I understand it. And when you are a storyteller, especially on this level, like you have to abide by the rules. And the rules were we have to establish Abby so that we can push forward into this. Um, and right away, again, something is kind of off. They, this group seems not threatening, but definitely, I would say, suspicious. They're keyed up. Yeah, that's a great word for it. Yeah. And um, so 
I can't remember um, the guy's name, her kind of quasi... Owen. And Owen, ironically enough, I just learned today, was played by Patrick Fugit from uh, Almost Famous. Oh, okay. All right. Huh. So they... Owen comes in and he's like, hey, like, I think I kind of found it. And he kind of generally points in a direction. Uh, he says, you know, we, we, we think he may be here. He may be in this area. So you play as Abby and you kind of venture into these woods, getting deeper and deeper and deeper into this. Um, and like any good old fashioned zombie game, you get hit by a horde. A very, it's like, like it's getting worse kind of every second. And there's more and more of these zombies. And then we enter this like, I don't know. I think it's like, a, isn't it like a ski lift? Something to that fact. So, yeah. So Owen takes Abby out early in the morning while the rest of the group is sleeping. I think they have eight people with them, seven, seven and lets her know that he's found something she might want to take a look at. And this sort of creates a space where they can have a bit of a, you know, prosaic conversation about other things on the way there. And you can tell their childhood friends, they used to be involved at one point. And then they come to this cliffside edge where after establishing that Abby has a fear of heights, which is put to hilarious effect later in the game, um, he shows her the town of Jackson. And after a bit of a holy shit, there it is moment, you can tell that this is like a momentous thing for them. And she sizes up how big the town is and starts thinking, well, you know, how many people really live here? How armed are they? How are we going to accomplish this goal? And Owen is trying to play the voice of reason. And, and, she really resents that in the moment because what he's really trying to do is by sort of at the last minute, put the kibosh on this entire mission, whatever it is. Um, so she runs off and in the process gets lost in a horde uh, while trying to make her way down the mountainside to the sort of valley below where Jackson is. And then a uh, at the last minute when she's sort of caught between a rock and a hard place with a, about 150 you know infected people clawing their way through a chain link fence, she gets rescued by Joel Miller, uh, who's been out on patrol with his brother um, in, in sort of the calm before what will be a very serious snowstorm. And they make their way while being chased uh, through sort of all of this territory, surviving, you know, a step at a time, blowing away infected um, and really just getting away barely scot-free. And they eventually get their horses and Abby after Joel and Tommy introduce you know, themselves to her, you see a moment of shock on her face, and that sort of foretells what's about to come. She lets them know where the rest of her group is staying, and they hightail it back to its lodge. The one thing a lot of, like, I'm gonna, one thing a lot of people talked about is um, the coincidence of Abby meeting Joel in that moment. I guess that yes. kind of frustrated people, and I, I can kind of understand that. To me, it was just like... It could happen. There aren't there aren't any other structures on that mountainside that are like that have electricity and are populated, and that's where Tommy and Joel were camped out at. Was sort of a ski ski lodge as opposed to like a bar, basically. Yeah, it's right down the hill from where Abby and her group were staying, and so of course they were sort of going to run into each other. They're on the same side of the mountain, both being chased by a horde. That's how they sort of collide. And whether it stretches the realms of believability or not, the game could have very easily have started with them infiltrating Jackson and kidnapping Joel uh, because they are very much there for him. Hence the surprise. I, and I feel like, yeah, exactly. Like the, the, the goal could have been ascertained regardless. So this was just kind of an interesting way to have it happen. And, and so 
Um, so we find out that Abby and this group have been here yet yeah, to, to pursue Joel. And this is another kind of question of the game that I really like that kind of makes you ask is like, okay, imagine whatever, you've got your group of seven friends and one of your friends says, hey, I'm going to travel X amount of distance to go find this man named Joel and my intention is to go out and kill him. Would you go? I, I think the modifier there, and we can go ahead and let the cat out of the bag for those who haven't played the game or who aren't going to play the game. These are all the children of fireflies from the Salt Lake City Hospital who, when their parents were killed, were displaced to join the Washington Liberation Front in Seattle. And after being trained and growing older and growing bitterer, they have all agreed sort of a blood oath that they're going to come exact their revenge on Joel Miller, who killed, among other people, the lead surgeon, uh, Abby's father. Yep. And it's interesting because, again, it's like a question of, like, morality, where, again, when, like, the laws of the world are taken away, it's it's more easy to say yes to something like that. You know, I'll be a million percent honest if right now, if, I don't know, if somebody murdered your wife and, and, and you came up to me and said, Calvin, I need to put together a band of people to go seek revenge, I would be like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't think murder is in my wheelhouse. Like, I don't think I have it in me. And um, Well, I think that's the sort of stark contrast of another sort of layer of the post-apocalyptic sort of franchise of media that's out there is that people are making, they're weighting life and death very differently. And it becomes weighted only as close as your empathy can bind the weight of it. So your friends, your family, your allies are all a protected class, but everyone else is fair game because you're desensitized and your goal is protectionist by nature. And it's interesting because it always kind of goes into that dynamic of like, there's always like a, the philosophical question of like, you know, have you not murdered somebody because it's illegal or have you not murdered somebody because it's immoral? There's a huge difference, yeah. you know, and... Um, and so I thought that was that was interesting. So yeah. So anyway, so we get back to this this lodge. Uh, Joel and Tommy, they're like, "Hey, thanks for helping out. The storm's coming." They go into the lodge. It goes so far as to extend, "Welcome, you know, come to Jackson. We'll resupply you. You know, we've got everything you need. You know, you're just passing through. Obviously, whatever." And um, and Tommy introduces himself, and then introduces Joel, and the room goes absolutely dead quiet. And as the camera pans with Joel standing in the middle of the room, there's Abby with a 12-gauge, and she blows his knee completely off of his leg. Yep. And um, it was just like, right there, it was just like, oh, here we here we go. This is 25 minutes into playing a game that people were waiting for for seven years, and this is the main <laughs> character. He has just been at the very least hobbled. But wait, it gets a lot worse. We want nothing Hey, you have no idea. Don't get electricity in here. Have you been? There are solar panels on the roof. Who are these people? How long y'all been here? Since yesterday. Yesterday? Yep. What are y'all doing out this way? I'm just passing through. You two live nearby? We do. A few hours down the hill. Y'all should come back with us, restock before you head out. Appreciate it. I'm Mel, by the way. Tommy. This is my brother. Joe. Don't act like you heard of us or something. Because they have. One of the things to reflect on is to everybody else who has any knowledge of Joel, he was, at least in the early days of the infection, the first 20 years, 
a smuggler who did whatever was required. And that included torturing people, murdering people, robbing people, uh, mass insurrection, and of course, no small amount of smuggling. And uh, he probably has no end of enemies and has probably had this coming for a long time. But our empathy for Joel as the main beloved character of this franchise is extraordinarily high uh, because despite all of his vile history, he has shown himself to be loyal, loving, intensely compassionate, and actually very idealistic if extremely damaged. And you're about to watch him get beat to death with a fucking golf club. Yeah, brutally. And I think uh, I think you were telling me too that they even like cut it down a little bit. They actually softened oh, it. Took a lot out of it, and and they took a lot of the the really hard brutality, the wasteful brutality, but. Every piece of brutality they took away, they also went back and they took away warmth. So sequences where you would have some sort of emotional warmth or closure, they began to reduce and reduce the excess so that you were just left with the internal assumptions of how the characters were making their decisions. They weren't saying everything. There's not a lot of exposition uh, in these moments. And they don't really dwell on the brutality any longer needed to let you know that this is an inevitable consequence of the cycle of revenge, effectively. You got her! Look, you got her! Okay? You're gonna fucking die! What's going on? Let him go! Who is that? Let him she go! Snuck in. Why aren't you posted up outside? We didn't think anyone was gonna show up. What the hell did you expect? We gotta get out of here, before the whole town's on top of us. You're done. You want what I want, right? End it. Now. Joel, get up. Joel, fucking get up! Please stop! Please don't shoot. Joel, please get up! No! 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 Exactly. And again, and it goes in like what we were just saying again, where like when you are in a post-apocalyptic world, again, murder is just as natural as driving a car. I mean, you know, it's the same thing. And that's always an interesting dynamic again. And like the humanity of it all is like, you know, are we, are we beings capable of accepting this? And the answer is, I think, yes. I think that is what the oh, answer is that they're going for. Is child soldiers over the last 50 years, you know, uh, can attest to, powerful normalization really is uh, as a psychological tool and you take a person down to simple elemental prospects of fight or flight and, and when we see joel 
after they tourniquet his leg. Uh, and one of the things that really bears mentioning here is that it is very obvious that some of the members are 100% down with this and some of them are along for the ride because they are loyal, because they ultimately believe in their hearts that it's the right thing to do, but they are very squeamish and they are very reluctant to prolong the experience. So they tourniquet Joel's absolutely destroyed, grotesque leg. And he basically tells them to save the speeches and get on with it. Why don't you say whatever speech you got rehearsed? Get this over with. This is a person who is absolutely ready to meet his end, has been ready for many years, has done what he knew how to do, and and it's that last moment that you get to really appreciate and respect him before Abby proceeds to reduce him to just pulp. Again, when it comes to when it comes to like storytelling and 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 in movies and cinematic endeavors, there are you have to stay true to a character, and it is really hard to do because like um, you know in other movies when a character dies, we get this like ten minute monologue of like you know what they felt and what they wanted and it's just an exposition dump that is effectively meaningless and and for this for him to just look at her and say you know whatever speech you had planned in your head go ahead and say it let's just get this done with was just like yeah that's joel they fucking they held on to that character and his morals until the very last second outside of that the only thing that happens is when he gets shot the first words out of his mouth is he screeches tommy and reaches out for his brother because his entire concern is for his brother, not himself. He's just had his kneecap removed forcibly with 12-gauge buckshot, and he's worried about his brother. And and so you, after having played this and thought about it extensively, because this this murder really sticks with you, at least it stuck with me, um, the indelible impression I'm left with is that everybody in that room is doing exactly what comes to mind, what comes naturally, um, whether it is being squeamish, whether it is really savoring this revenge, whether it is being concerned for your family or dying with some measure of dignity. Um, and they're just sort of repeating their programming at that point. And whatever it might be, whether, you know, Joel grew up with too many John Wayne movies <laughs> or, <laughs> or he's just ready to die uh, and he thinks Tommy's going to be okay because they haven't killed him yet. Um, having read up a lot on the back end stuff that they removed from this sequence, there's a lot of things they removed that would have really let you into his head a little bit more. But the thing that really needs to be understood is that in that moment, he's trying to accept his fate without further endangering his brother. I like that. Yeah, that's and that's cool. And I think that, again, there is a in media there. I wish there was a little bit more general acceptance to the idea that mystery and not knowing every single thing is OK because it lets you yeah. leave and lets you think about it and say, I wonder what he was thinking in that moment. And then you'll think about it the next time you play the game. And then it's yours and it belongs to you. And that's a million times cooler than two assholes sitting on a microphone telling you what to think. So, um, oh, for sure. And I think one of the impressive things in this whole sequence is that it's, it's, Given what you know about Joel without having to read director's commentary or infer your own things from body language, what you can tell right up front is Joel has fucked over so many people in his life that when they go to ask him to guess who they are, he genuinely doesn't give a shit because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yep. Yeah. Probably this. Uh, and it's, it's just what's happening in that moment. He's not cool about it. It ain't great, but... 
he's not going to spend a lot of time crying over spilled milk, basically. And this was, to me, a really interesting thing, too. I love in in movies and TV shows and everything else when when they have... When they kill a main character, I love it. I'm like, thank you. I, this it it, it yeah. needs to serve a purpose for the story, obviously. Um, but it's like, there's no hesitancy. It's like, yes, yeah, this person's time to go. You know, you and I play a lot of D and D, and when a PC, when a playable character dies, it sucks and it's awkward and it's a little bit sad. And I've killed players as a DM, and it's 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 kind of sucks, and it, you don't want to do it. But you get to get a new story out of it, and therefore it's worth it. And so to see that in this game, I I was cheering, not because I wanted to see him die, but because, again, I was like, thank you. Like, yeah, you just killed off your mascot. Like, I could not imagine, you know, I would be stunned if I turned on a Legend of Zelda game and within the first 25 minutes Link dies. I would be... Oh, I mean, like, yeah, it's it's relatively unthinkable, and I... I... I, I definitely, this is one of the few things that I think The Walking Dead did well into its mid-season runs was being able to execute uh, main characters when it made sense to, uh, because the reality is you cannot exist within such a sort of brutal, high-stakes scenario and keep taking the piss with plot armor. You have to eventually do something about it. And if you're going to do it, you might as well do it in a way that really galvanizes and impacts emotionally all of the connected characters interwoven into the story. What I don't like seeing, you know, we brought up, uh, I believe it's Aerith uh, in Final Fantasy VII, and I think in the first podcast. I never had any resonance with that. And the reason I never had any resonance with that is that it sort of affected the other characters, but there was no change to who they were. It did not torture them. They were not walking with grief. They were not made sick or skinny by it. Um, and the technology, frankly, wasn't there to comport that. Um, and so it became a, a largely symbolic death. And certainly you wanted to cut every variant of Sephiroth the end game, you know, could throw <laughs> to multiple pieces. But that was more just because it feels good to be a badass with a 500-pound sword you're somehow lifting. Yeah, with um, one hand. Um, yes. <laughs> um, so, but when you, when you look at the impact of Walking Dead deaths, you're talking about characters who stop eating, who stop cleaning themselves, who hold cloth their loved one wore against their face and inhale because they just want some little peace. That is grief. Grief is extremely hard and acidic. And, well, for me, that what that speaks to in watching The Way the Last of Us 2 deals with the loss of Joel especially in the context of the great conflict between him and Ellie, what you're really grieving is the loss for them to have ever had the ending they deserved. And that sort of, for me, is what supercharged an already authentic telling of grief was that his death comes at what is fundamentally the most heartbreaking moment, which you don't even really fully understand until the very end of the game during a flashback sequence, that their conflict had almost reached a point of resolution where they could just have the live happily ever after until well they get eaten by zombies or get an infant. They were the, they were like yeah ninety five percent almost there and um, it was the corner was also promising. It was it was that it was that phase of an argument where it's like you both finally calm down and it's like okay all we have left now is time it, it, whether it's one minute or like six months or a year whatever it's gonna pass that's where you, that's where they were at yeah. but. Um, 
she's coming to the kitchen at 2 a.m. and they're sleep eating fig newtons all as well and you just exhale all of your anger and you just say we're gonna be okay and you eat fig newtons together like they were right there one of them you know sleepy and rotund with fig newtons fig newton and then kneecaps you know turn into red mist and faces get beaten in with golf clubs and i again i could imagine I, I know there was a lot of people upset about him dying but i think that it served a purpose and i think that it it goes into it goes into the theme of like you know okay you wanted to play with joel and ellie in this game and go on more adventures and it's like so did ellie so stupid i have no idea what that girl's intentions are, but but I do know that she would be lucky to have you. You're such an asshole. I'm not trying to. I was supposed to die in that hospital. My life would have fucking mattered. But you took that from me. Somehow the Lord gave me a second chance at that moment. I would do it all over again. I just... I don't think I can ever forgive you for that. But I would like to try.